Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah 42. Let me remind you about our uh, giving for Vans and Mission Tucson. Uh, we got a couple of goals we're hoping to reach. We're not counting on those goals. Like, I mean, if, if we don't reach them, oh no, what will we do? These are just some nice little round numbers that uh, we hope to get to. Um, and I encourage you to give to that. Let me remind you also about the Back to Church Sunday signs that you can get. $15, bring that money to me, uh, either today or during the week. If you want to put those in your yard, we would uh, love for you to do that, encourage you to do that. And my, my celebration this morning, you can, I don't think, there's no slide for this, Pat, so you can just go on to the sermon uh, title slide, uh, is, yeah, oh, it's a Bible verse next. Well, oh, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, somebody from Arizona uh, comes to our church to be baptized. I mean, that's a celebration just, just right there, period, that we, yeah, that, we, that we baptize people at all. God is using us. But what I want to celebrate is that the decision to be on TV uh, in the community was made a long time ago. Um, I don't even know how long ago. I'm sure John could tell me 70s, 80s, something like that, maybe further back. Maybe we were on radio before that. I don't have a clue. That's how far back the, the media part of our service goes. Now, we're not on TV anymore. The, uh, the, the, the TV system that we used, which was over in Lake Charles somewhere, it was obsolete, outdated, and it didn't get upgraded. So we haven't been on TV for a while. But we made the decision a few years ago to go live stream uh, the, the new TV or internet. And we've been doing that for a while. It was wonderful during COVID, during the pandemic, when there were a lot of churches, I'm talking about a lot of churches all over our country, that were scrambling to try to get the equipment necessary to, to live stream. And, and we didn't have to do that because however many years ago, five, six years ago, seven, six years ago, we'd made the decision, let's live stream. And I think it, one more cable and another computer, CPU, was, was, was all we needed. And, and God has used that. God has used that faithfulness. I'm sure we could, we could tell story after story. Uh, y'all probably, y'all know them certainly better than I do of, of our TV ministry reaching people, but it's still working. The, the, our attempts to reach further beyond our walls in ways that many of us may never experience because we don't watch online, God still uses them. So that's a celebration for decisions in the past leading to salvations to today. And if you remember last week in my sermon, I talked about we may not see the results of our decisions of obedience when, when we feel led or when God leads us to do something. It may be six years because to my knowledge, this is the first baptism directly related to our live streaming. Now, I might be misremembering, but I think that's it. So, so six years? Was, was that purchase of a computer back there then worth it? Yes. You ask this family, and you're absolutely going to get a yes. So we may never know. And that's a celebration that we get to realize in our church's life. All right. Our, our Bible, our memory verse, I did have that next. That was my bad. 
Yes, I did, I did practice this week. I worked on it, and I am just struggling. So we're, we're going to do the best we can. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in him, and, right? Is the Lord, sorry, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when drought comes, heat comes, and its foliage remains green. (laughs) It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8. I don't think we're supposed to say that... uh, God's verses, choice of words in the Bible are dumb, but you, you feel comfortable enough with him, go ahead. Um, <laughs> everybody, wa- yes, everybody wants to say drought there, but, but droughts later, heat first, then drought, because, you know, heat tends to bring drought. I get it. I, I, obviously, I do the same thing. I'm just not going to speak out and say it's dumb. Jeremiah 42, 7 through 22. Premeditated disobedience. It's what we see this morning in this passage. And we've got to kind of build up to it, and we will. But that's where this passage is heading. Uh, This passage takes place, this this message, uh, the, the, the narrative... After the final defeat of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. So Israel as a country officially is no more. Jerusalem has been sieged and sacked. Uh, Everybody has been, uh, most people have either been killed or carted off. There have been a number of deportations leading up to this moment. What brought about this moment was more rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar and uh, They were already a vassal state of Babylon, but they fought back, and now they are done with. Nebuchadnezzar appoints a gentleman by the name of Gedaliah as the governor of Jerusalem. There's no king anymore. He's he's governor of of Judah, it's of the area, but... And, and his home is not, as you read in chapters 40 and 41, his home is not in... um, Jerusalem anymore. It's in uh, Mizpah. Yep. Uh, he, he set up home in, in Mizpah. And, and that's where he's going to, to rule from. And there's concern, of course, on the part of uh, the Jews that, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to show up again, right? Because he's done it for 10 years uh, since this all started, or even a little before that. He keeps showing up and, and whooping up on them, so there's fear that he's going to do it again. Get Eliah promises them, no, it's, it's, it's done, it's over. Look, if we will just be good, if, if we will do what Jeremiah told the, the exiles in Babylon back in uh, Jeremiah uh, 19, uh, when he's, no, I'm sorry, 29, uh, 29, where he said plant and live and all that stuff, just be good citizens. If, if, look, if we'll just do that, Nebuchadnezzar's promised that we're good. And that was actually the Babylonian policy, was if you'll just be nice, play nice. I mean, I know we killed a lot of you and all, but if you'll be nice now, you can just kind of live the way you want to, not worried about it. Well, there's always somebody who wants to fight. 
doesn't matter how peaceful things are, doesn't matter how good things are going, there's always somebody who is discontent, uh, mad at somebody, or just wants to stir up trouble, and there was a guy like that in, in Judah at the time, a guy by the name of Ishmael. He gets together 10 guys, they go to get Eliah and say, hey, let's have dinner, and this is like a major uh, ancient Near East uh, faux pas that they did. You, when someone invites you into their home, when they show you hospitality, even if you're the enemy, in the home when hospitality has been offered, you don't, you don't do what Ishmael did. Uh, that, that, is, that is a time of peace. And it, uh, Gedaliah was warned and he said, no, 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 that, 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 it, everything's good. Now, Nobody's going to cause a problem now. It's, it's over. Why would anybody? Well, it doesn't matter why. Uh, they did. And at dinner that night, Gedaliah is assassinated by Ishmael and the, the ten men that joined him. Later on, they kill another, what, 70, 80 people who had come, uh, some uh, uh, pilgrims that had come to, to visit. And Anyway, it makes a big old mess. They get their punishment for it later on. In the meantime, uh, or, or during all this, the, there are other people and leaders that have scattered to the countryside during the battles, during the siege of Jerusalem, and when Gedaliah is governor, they begin to come back. And they uh, are apprehensive, but they trust Gedaliah. It's just these few that don't. And they're now living in the city, and now that Gedaliah is, is dead, they, they go and they... Uh, find uh, Ishmael and the other folks that were taking captives off to uh, Ammon because he was working for the Ammonite king. They're, they're, they find him, they, they kill some of the guys, Ishmael escapes, we never hear from him again. Very likely Jeremiah was in that group that was rescued. They come back to Jerusalem, Gedaliah is dead, and they're now scared that, well, Gedaliah said it would be peaceful, but he's dead. And very likely, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and whoop up on us for killing his governor. It's not wrong thinking. That's, that's not, um, it's not uncommon sense to think that way. But they did what they were supposed to do next. They sought the Lord. They go to Jeremiah and they say, hey, find out from God what we're supposed to do. Go to him for us and, and ask him. And, and for 10 days, Jeremiah seeks the Lord. The problem with these people is they had the right start with the wrong beginning. Oh, we'll see that as we move through the passage. Our big idea this morning is when seeking God's will, begin with an automatic or an upfront yes instead of a conditional no, even if certain of the difficulty coming. Start when you go to God for his will in a situation with an upfront yes. Lord, I want to know what you want me to do, and the answer is yes. Instead of, Lord, I want to know what you want me to do as long as it's not these things. 
Well, we'll see that in the passage as we move through it. Jeremiah 42, verses 7 through 11. Read along with me. At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and he summoned Johanan, son of Kareah, all the commanders of the armies who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He said to them, This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to bring your petition before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will rebuild and not demolish you, and I will plant and not uproot you, because I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought on you. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Don't be afraid of him. This is the Lord's declaration. Because I am with you to save you and rescue you from him. I will grant you compassion, and he will have compassion on you and allow you to return to your own soil. But if you say we will not stay in this land in order to disobey the Lord your God, And if you say, no, instead we'll go to the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of the ram's horn or hunger for food and we'll live there, then hear the word of the Lord, remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. If you are firmly resolved to go to Egypt and stay there for a while, then the sword you fear will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine you are worried about will follow on your heels there to Egypt, and you will die there. All who resolve to go to Egypt to stay there for a while will die by the sword, famine, and plague. They will have no survivor or fugitive from the disaster I will bring on them. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Just as my anger and fury were poured out in Jerusalem's, on Jerusalem's residents, so will my fury pour out on you if you go to Egypt. You will become an example for cursing, scorn, execration, and disgrace, and you will never see this place again. The Lord has spoken concerning you, remnant of Judah. Don't go to Egypt. Know for certain, this is Jeremiah speaking, know for certain that I have warned you today. You have gone astray at the cost of your lives because you are the ones who sent me to the Lord your God saying, pray to the Lord our God on our behalf and as for all that the Lord our God says, tell it to us and we'll act accordingly. For I have told you today, but you have not obeyed the Lord your God in everything he has sent me to tell you. Now, therefore, know for certain that by the sword, famine, and plague, you will die in the place where you desired to go to stay for a while. They go to Jeremiah and they say, tell us what the Lord says. And whatever he says, we will do. Verse 6, right before we started reading, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant... We will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us. We will certainly obey the Lord. Verse 5, I mean that whole paragraph, May the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we don't act according to every word the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Three times in their request to Jeremiah, they say, We will obey. It doesn't matter what, may the Lord judge us if we, doesn't, if, if we don't. It doesn't matter what he says, good, bad, indifferent. We are going to obey whatever you tell us God says. It's a 
good start with a bad beginning. Because turns out, number one, the command is hard. They go to God and they find out that the command is going to be difficult. Verses 7 through 12, as I said, going to Egypt seemed like a no-brainer. It made all the common sense in the world, a common sense move. Egypt had not experienced the war, at least not on their land. There, there was no famine there. There was plenty of food. It was, they, could, they could have places to live. They, they had been in a, um, in a treaty with Egypt prior to Babylon getting so big. It was when, when Babylon was able to defeat Judah the first time, it was because they defeated Egypt at Carchemish, there, there were battles going on, and, and Egypt could no longer protect Judah. So they had this relationship already, so they were trying to rekindle this relationship. Now, while common sense says that sounds good, we, if you think it through a little bit, you can imagine how that would look a little sketchy to Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, hey, y'all fought me when you thought Egypt was protecting you, and then when Egypt couldn't protect you anymore. You fought me some more, and you lost bad. But now you're off in Egypt again. Y'all, y'all trying to start something else? Look, if you'll just be nice, I'll be nice. But common sense said, go to Egypt. The problem with common sense is that God does not work according to our common sense. We often think, well, this is the best way to do it. And God says, I don't care what you often think. Because my thinking's not your thinking. My thinking's higher than your thinking. My common sense is more commoner than your sense. My common sense is better. As a matter of fact, my common sense is perfect, and your common sense ain't even that common. It's pretty rare for you to have the sense, and it is absolutely unknown that we have the same sense as God. So it doesn't work that way. God doesn't really care what our common sense says. Common sense said, well, of course, Nebuchadnezzar would retaliate for the assassination of Gedaliah. He won't won't care who he kills. He's just going to make an example of anybody who would kill his governor. Of course, the armies are going to come back from Babylon and, and take over again. They're gone now. The land is clear of, of Babylonian military, but they're going to come back and, and they're going to kill us all, what few of us are left, especially now that we have come from the countryside where we are hiding into the city. We're, we're sitting ducks. The walls are broken. We've got no, uh, no defenses left. We have no army to speak of. Of course, It's going to be tough to get our crops going again. Uh, We're going to struggle with that. We're going to be hungry. If you did your reading this week, you read back in chapter 40 at verse 10 that Gedaliah says, Come and harvest the fruit uh, from the orchards and the uh, um, groves, the, the, the vines. Because while the Babylonian armies had destroyed the, the, the fields, the grains, they hadn't destroyed the orchards and the vineyards. So there was food, it says, store it up for the winter. There was food, and this was late summer, so this was fruit harvest time. 
There was food to get them through the winter. It's not the best. I mean, you want to make bread, I get it, but we can make it, and then we can make it to the planting season in the late winter, early spring, and we can get to harvest time in in midsummer. We we can do this. but, But it was going to be hard. They didn't foresee any of those problems in Egypt. Egypt's gonna be easy. We just take a quick trip down to Egypt. Uh, all the food will be there, all, everything we need. It, it's, it's the same echo that we hear, or it is an echo of what we heard from the children of Israel after Moses led them out. Oh, back in Egypt, we had all we wanted to eat, every, and spices. We didn't have to eat this bland manna and this quail every day. It was great back in Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to being slaves because that's easy than being free people following Yahweh. They didn't foresee any of those problems in Egypt, but that's because they couldn't see what God saw. They had human common sense, and God had perfect knowledge, and God saw and knew what was going to happen. He knew that the And and he's going to tell them what's going to happen, but he he shouldn't have had to tell them, right? But we'll get there. Those those visible, common-sense plans that Judah had, the, 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 the remnant of Judah had, didn't matter because God would be with them in Judah. See, common sense doesn't take the place of God. The wisdom of our plans and decisions is useless if God is not in them. And so while we may say this makes sense on a temporal human scale, God says, sure, I don't even deny that, that it makes sense to your human finite mind, but that's not where I am. That's not what I'm leading you to do. That's not where I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in this obedience. Moses in chapter in Exodus 33 Verses 14 through 16, and I'll paraphrase, wisely told God, if you don't go, we're not going. Because we just want to be where you're working. It's, 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 where, uh, it's the beginning of Henry Blackaby's experiencing God, seeing where God is and joining him there. And if he's not there, we don't want to be there. God says, don't go to Egypt. I'm not telling you to go there. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you not to go there. And I won't be there with you. I won't. Yes, God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's not the issue. The issue is he will not bless that. He will not protect them from that. And as a matter of fact, he tells them what the consequences of disobedience will be in verses 13 through 18. Number two, the consequences of, consequence of disobedience. God makes it very clear to them what will happen in Egypt. If you go to Egypt, if you say we will not stay in this land in order to, what, disobey the Lord, your God. And if you say, no, instead we'll go to the land of Egypt where we will, common sense says, not see war or hear the sound of the ram's horn or hunger for food. And we'll live there. God says, ooh, uh uh-uh. Hear the word of the Lord remnant of Judah. The sword you fear will overtake you there. Verse 16. 
The famine you are worried about will follow on your heels, and you will die. See, the three things, that we won't have war, we'll have food, and we'll live. And God says, you'll have war, there will be famine, and you'll die. The exact opposite of the three things that they were expecting will happen. Now, this has nothing to do with Egypt. This is not, uh, it is not that Egypt is a bad place, okay? This isn't an, an oracle against Egypt. Jews had been living in, in Egypt for hundreds of years, and they would continue to do so after this time. Uh, they had quite a, a community in, in Egypt. Um, this command has everything to do with this remnant. Because he says, here in verse 15, Hear the word of the Lord, remnant of Judah. I'm talking to y'all now. I'm talking to you, this group, that just asked me if you should do this. You're the one I'm talking to. You kind of get uh, images of Peter when Jesus tells him how he's going to die on a cross. And Peter says, what about John? Don't worry about John. Remnant of Judah, don't worry about that there are Jews in Egypt now. Don't worry about that, that they seem to be doing okay and there's no war and whatever. Don't don't. That's, that is not my focus. No, Egypt, whatever. You, you be obedient to me. All the other stuff doesn't matter. What matters is you be obedient to me. Bad things will happen if you go to Egypt. But you know, I kind of gave this away already, you know what's important about those bad things? Not that they're bad things. But they're the same bad things they're now wanting to run from. It's not like, well, okay, you might get away from famine and war and death, but you're going to have to deal with uh, these other bad things. No, no, no. The, 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 you're, the exact thing you're trying to get away from, you're going to have if you go there. If you stay, I might... As a matter of fact, I will protect you from those things. I know it looks bad now, and you're wondering, how in the world is the Lord going to do that? That's why I'm God, and you're not, he tells them. He implies, anyway. But if you go there, you're going to have problems. Now, sometimes, you're actually the problem, so your problem goes with you. Now, that was true in Judah's case as this time. As we're going to see or as you saw when you read through chapter 44 of Jeremiah. You saw that they're doing the same things in Egypt that, they, that brought uh, judgment on them in Judah, in Jerusalem. So they're going to end up taking a lot of these problems with them. But the, the, I think the broader message there that we need to hear, maybe we're not taking the actual problems with us, but the grass isn't greener on the other side. We're convinced that it is, but it's not. Uh, and, and folks, I have been here seven years at this church. And within months, literally, there were opportunities, I'll say, for me to, to leave. There were times when uh, there, there were good reasons and have been over those years. Good re common sense reasons. 
It just would make sense. And it, I would talk to pastor friends, and, and they would say, well, why don't you? And you should. And, and, and my answer, uh, I, 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 could, I could hop churches when it gets hard. I could leave one and go to another and, and spend two to three years at each church. And yes, there are churches that'll, that'll hire you that like that. They're desperate enough that, that they'll, that, oh, you only been at your last place two years? Well, we're better than that. You, well, you find out two years, they're not. But see, every church has its hard. And every church has its repeated hard. And in church especially, the problems you fear will follow you because we're all people and and we have people problems and and those problems are a part of of every person's life wherever we are y'all have the same issue you if you leave here to find a better church good luck you might find a church with different problems but i'm going to tell you guaranteed you're going to find churches have much many of the same problems you might go to a bigger church well then it's just different by percentage it's not different by type because the grass isn't greener and for me in my situation God hasn't said leave and that's what I have to go by that's what I have to struggle with sometimes God wouldn't it be better for everybody and some of y'all in, in your head are nodding, yep, okay. But God hadn't said leave. And so were I to leave, I'm certain he would say, I told you no, and what you're going to face when you get there is just going to be the same thing, wherever it is. We learned this. I'm not, I'm not special. Uh, this isn't, oh, well, he's, you know, he's really close to, no, no experience y'all we I've told you before I've given you my testimony we we made a decision in 2002 to not go where it was hard though God was calling us well no that would be too too hard we don't want to do have to do all these things and you know what happened we had to do all those things when we went to the place we thought common sense told us would be better just simply we didn't want to go and be a part-time I didn't want to go be a part-time pastor and struggle and have to work and she would have to work a job with a, a newborn baby so we took the prestigious full-time not pastor job even though we knew God was saying it's time to be a pastor the not pastor job at this big church and we struggled, and she had to get a job with a newborn baby, and we were there six months, and we went to the next place where she couldn't get a job, and I had to get the second job, and still had a one-ish year, well, not quite one-ish year old yet. Um, I know what I'm talking about. I've done it. I've done it the wrong way, and we have determined to do it the right way. So, Bad things are going to be wherever we go. Hard things are going to be wherever we go. But the consequences of disobedience are always worse than the struggles of obedience. Let me say that again. 
the consequences of disobedience are always worse than the struggles of obedience. Obedience might be hard, and disobedience might look easy, but that is never the case. It is always worse to be disobedient than it is to be obedient. And that's what the remnant of Judah learned. But as I said, they began wrong. Uh, It was the right start with the wrong beginning. They, number three, had an insincere seeking. They weren't going to the Lord to find out what he wanted. Jeremiah knew their answer before he had answered. Notice in the passage that he moves from verse 18 where he tells them what God said to speaking for himself in verse 19, tell them, look, the Lord has spoken you concern, concern, spoken concerning you, remnant of Jeremiah, don't, uh, remnant of Judah, don't go to Egypt. I've warned you today, you have gone astray. They ain't even moved yet. But Jeremiah knew. They had already made up their mind. And I don't know if he saw it in their faces, doesn't say. If, if they were speaking up as he was speaking to them, or if he just supernaturally knew. I think that's really where it comes down. He knew that they had already made up their mind. They had premeditated their disobedience. They had already planned, because they weren't really seeking God's will. They were seeking his blessing on the decision they had already made. If you've done that before, say, oh me. Yeah, we've all done it. God, I need you to tell me what to do. Well, really, God, what I need you to do is make... We pray this all... Lord, bless this endeavor. What? No, no. I mean, if he has said, do the endeavor, sure, absolutely, bless it. But we go to God, and we pray for him to show us the way... But then we strike out on our own and wonder why we failed. I'm one of the world's worst at this. God, what are we supposed to do? Well, I need you to do this. Oh, good. Got it. I'm gone. Hold up, boy. I need you to do this, but I need you to do it in this way. And I need you to do it in this time. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I didn't. I just, I knew what he wanted, right? So I I stepped out. Show me what you want and I'm gone. Or... We decide beforehand what we will accept as the answer. And then we're disobedient when we get a different one. That's Judah. Lord, tell me what you want to do. What would you want me to do? Don't go to Egypt. Too bad, we've already decided we're going to Egypt, so bye. (laughs) It, It sounds ludicrous, but we do it all the time. Or... We go to God with all of our no's, N-O, all of our multiple uh uh-uh's, and our limited yes's, and we expect God to fall in line. God, what do you want me to do? Now, here here are the things I'm not going to do. I can't do, for whatever common sense says, I can't do these things. That means these are the things that I can do. So, Lord, make sure whatever you tell me to do fits in my yeses and doesn't show up in my noes. And we wonder why we as believers don't seem to live an abundant life in Christ. 
We wonder why we can't find the joy of the Lord that we're promised. We wonder why our church falters and struggles. Because a church is merely made up of individual believers. We are a community of faith. We are a body, but we're many parts. So if the parts are doing all the crazy things, doing whatever they want to, you look like some fool walking down the road because none of the body parts are working together. And you don't get very far doing that. Because we all have our idea, well, this, no, I can't do that, no, I can't do that, no, I can't do that. And we all have our list of yeses, and if we all took our list of yeses, guaranteeing to you, they're not going to line up. And our no's aren't going to line up either. But you know what does line up? If every one of us goes to God and says, yes, whatever you say, I'll do. Imagine how that lines up. Everything just gets in perfect formation, and we're able to pull and go the same direction. But when we've got our lists of no's before our much smaller lists of yeses, it doesn't work. We have conditioned our obedience. God, I will obey you if... Do you hear how awful that sounds? God, creator of the universe, saver of, of my soul, the one who gives me the next breath that I will or will not breathe, provides, provides me everything I have. God, you, ruler of the universe, I will do anything you say if I agree with it. Me, not the, not the saver of my soul, not the provider of everything I have, not the ruler of the universe. Let me tell you what you're going to do. We have premeditated our disobedience. We've already planned what we are not going to do. Tell you what, you, Lord, I tell you what I'm not going to do. And what God says back is... <laughs> Let me tell you what you're not going to do. And mainly that's be successful in anything you try if I'm not in it, if you are not being obedient. But do you know why we are disobedient? It's because we don't believe obedience works. Turn to chapter 44. You're going to skip a little bit. Chapter 44, verses 16 through 18. As for the word you spoke to us in the name of the Lord, this is the people talking to Jeremiah. As for the word you spoke to us in the name of the Lord, we are not going to listen to you. Excuse me? As to the word from God... La, 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 la. Instead, we will do everything we promised, everything we planned, everything that makes sense to us. We will burn incense to the queen of heaven and offer drink offerings to her, just as we, our fathers, our kings, and our officials did in Judah's cities and in Jerusalem's streets. Then we had enough food. We were well off, and we saw no disaster. 
But from the time we ceased to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to offer her drink offerings, we have lacked everything. And through sword and famine, we have met our end, or we have died. Now this isn't immediately after chapter 42. This isn't immediately after he told them not to go. They have been in Egypt for a while at this point. And Jeremiah is still trying to get them to be obedient, even though they are literally living in disobedience. They aren't even supposed to be there in Egypt. And Jeremiah is saying, all right, y'all, y'all did this. You, you've come to Egypt anyway, despite God telling you not to. Despite God telling you what would happen if you did war, famine, and death. So at least while you're here, be obedient. Stop burning incense to the queen of heaven, one of the Egyptian gods, goddesses. Stop doing that. And they say, well, you know what? Obedience didn't get us what we wanted. Health, wealth, and comfort, or food, peace, and life. You, you said be obedient, but, but things were bad when we were obedient. Things seem to be pretty good when we're disobedient. Therefore, we are going to be disobedient. We're going to do everything we promised. We will do all the things that we've been doing that they did in Jerusalem that they did in Israel, that led to the destruction, you still don't get it. Because at least we're fat and happy while we're disobedient. But obedience is hard. We had enough food then. But from the time we ceased to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to offer her drink offerings, verse 18 We have lacked everything. Notice how their lack came. Sword, famine, and we've met our end. Death. The three things that they were running from, that God promised them they would have when they got to Egypt, (gasps) shocker, they had it. Well, what do you know about that? Well, if we would just quit being obedient to God, maybe that wouldn't happen. I wish I could say I'm that different from them. And yet we, yet I, continue to try to do the same things. That last lesson, oh, yes, I got it now. Something pretty. Over and over and over. I need you to listen very carefully. Obedience to God isn't supposed to get you what you want, it's supposed to get you what God wants. Obedience isn't about making you happy. Obedience is about doing what God says. And you finding joy in the Lord and an abundant life in Christ because you're obedient. 
even if he doesn't tell you what you'll get for your disobedience. I think he was showing unnecessary patience with Judah, the remnant of Judah. If you go, this is what you're going to get. I mean, the exact same, the exact thing you think you're running from. But he doesn't give us that all the time. Most of the time, it's simply, no, don't do that, do this. But why? Our kids do the same thing. Because I know better. I know the consequences. I know what you're going to do will lead to X, Y, and or Z. And I'm just a dumb human. I'm just, I'm, I'm just talking from experience. God speaks from knowledge. Don't do it. Instead, obey me. But it'll be hard. I know, but it'll be harder if you don't do what I say. And you know what? Here's, here's what we really hate. Disobedience might actually be easier. Yuck. But God, it is obvious. Even you can see, Lord. I mean, especially you can see, Lord, that if we choose this instead of that, that the, the results, it, it will just be an easier path to take. And his response may very well be, I don't deny that. But I'm not interested in your ease. I'm not interested in your happiness. I'm not interested in what you find comfortable. I'm interested in my will. I'm interested in, my, in your obedience to me. I'm interested in what you can't see. Yes, the next however many steps will be easier. But you don't see where that gets you. And it may not even be about you. You don't see where that gets your family. You don't see where that gets your church. You don't see where that gets your community. I do. And while this is more difficult, I know what it means down the road. I know what it means for you down the road and everybody you come into contact with and people you won't come into contact with because that's how big God is. But God, I might not be successful if I'm obedient to you. <laughs> yeah, actually, you absolutely are. Obedience isn't proven by material or quantifiable success. We try to make it that. Israel certainly made it that. They understood if, you, if you're blessed, God must, you must be doing something good for God. You're rich, God must like you. You must be good. And, and I'm poor, so I'm bad. And God says, no, rich man and Lazarus. No, he had everything, and he went to hell, and Lazarus had nothing. And you look at their lives, and you say, it's one thing. And God says, it is exact opposite from what you think. And you know what most of life is? Exact opposite from what God thinks, what we see life as. Obedience isn't proven by material or quantifiable success, Success is proven by obedience. You want to be successful? Be obedient. And that's the end of it. Etta and I talk about a lot. Uh, just after seven years, what it, what it means to be successful. Uh, numerically, you look around, we've lost, since I've been here, 100 people 
maybe more because new people have come in. On paper, that's not a success. On paper, that says, that's awful. And in a lot of ways, it is because, you know, there, there's, there are failures on my part that led to some of that. And yet, numbers aren't the indicator of obedience in any church. They can be some idea of where you are or where you're going, but they're not the final indicator. Obedience is. Last year we had 10 baptisms. This year so far we've had eight. Uh, we've never had two years in a row like that. As I said, we're, we're baptizing someone who lives, really that's only two states over, <laughs> Texas. That's like five states. Three. Three over. Five if they divide it. Oh, three states over, yeah. Because obedience. Obedience, success will never look like we think it should look, or rarely. Because success is proven by obedience. Randomly, and it was random, uh, a, a meme, a picture I shared that Etta found that... Uh, says it well, like, my son, I'm on Facebook looking for a meme, and there's a gif of me doing this. Y'all are all looking at Facebook. Go ahead and do that right quick while I'm, uh, David Wilkerson said, when God calls you to something, he is not always calling you to succeed. He's calling you to obey. The success of the calling is up to him. The obedience is up to you. I don't know the full story of David Wilkerson. I know it's written about in a book called The Cross and the Switchblade where he ministered and evangelized to gangs and was successful at it. But his success wasn't in the number of gang members that got saved. His success was in the obedience to God who called him. To choose when and if to obey God makes you God, not him. If you get to choose when to obey, what you're going to do, that makes you God. And that's the idolatry of today. Whether you burn incense to the queen of heaven like the Jews in Egypt did or not, it is just as much idolatry to say, God, I will be obedient to me, not to you, as it is, you might as well, and I'm not telling you to do this, but you might as well burn incense to the false gods. Because you are worshiping a false god anyway. You are obeying, obeying a false god anyway. You are obeying yourself. Obedience comes with discipleship. Discipleship comes with being a disciple. Being a disciple comes with taking up your cross and following Jesus. And following Jesus comes with believing on him for salvation. It's a progression. And it begins with your faith in Christ. It begins with your acknowledgement of your sinfulness. 
and understanding Romans 6.23, that the wages of that sin is death. It's who you are, it's what you deserve, and it's what you will get. But God provided a gift, a free gift, in eternal life. You can overcome the sin in you, but not you. Jesus is what you need. Jesus is all that can take away your sin. You can't. You can't work your way out of it. You can't, you can't be obedient enough to God. Isn't that funny? You can't until you are obedient to follow Christ, to believe on him for salvation. And then, once you are obedient, the Holy Spirit empowers you to obedience. But your attempts at obedience apart from Christ will never save you. You know why? Because you're never going to do it. You're never going to do it right, and you're certainly never going to do it enough. So what's your next step to take this morning? Maybe you need to take up your cross, leave your life, follow him, believe on Jesus for salvation. Not a head knowledge, but a heart acceptance. The Gospel of John over and over uses believe. You can know and not believe, not internalize. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and baptism like Sharon did. It might require you crossing three states to do it. Who knows? I ain't going to be mad if you go to a different church to be baptized. I want you to follow Christ. Maybe you need to submit to him. Maybe there's an obedience that you have been running from and been telling him, no, God. You, you started off with a no, and you've stayed at a no. And he is saying, the problems are just going to follow you. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ. You need to join this church, be a part of this body, and get this whole gift that's on Facebook now straightened out so we're pulling the same way. Share your decision with us this morning. Reach out to us. Let us know. We're going to be up here to pray with you. Chelsea to my left. I'll be to my right. A couple of deacons in the back, Kirk and Lee. Justin, our youth minister, will also be in the back. Maybe you have a decision you want to share. Maybe you just want prayer this morning. But you do, you be obedient today. Quit putting off whatever it is you're putting off. But I don't know how it's going to turn out. It doesn't matter. Your success is the obedience. Be obedient this morning. Father, we pray that we would be obedient to you. I pray that someone this morning will be obedient to follow Christ, to believe on him for salvation. They will place their faith. They will experience that salvation today. They will take up their cross and they will follow him. Lord, I pray a believer will quit giving you their no's and give you their yes. Quit giving you their no and give you their yes. Whatever it is. And they'll give you that yes first. And then they'll say, now, God, tell me. Lord, I pray for the believer that's been struggling. He, they know what the yes is, they, 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 but they just can't pull that trigger. Today they'll pull the trigger. And they'll say, I will be obedient to what you're calling. Regardless of the outcome, regardless of the difficulty. Lord, may we take up as believers, may we take up our cross and follow you, knowing that our success is in obedience. Our joy is in obedience. Our abundant life is in obedience. 
God, may we experience the joy and abundance of obedience this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing and as we worship, as we stand, you do business with God this morning and come as you are led.